Hello and welcome to the brand new edition of the podcast brought to you by Smart Energy Magazine. I am SK, host for the show. The world leaders are meeting in Sharm al-Sheikh, Egypt for two weeks of climate negotiations at the 27th United Nations Climate Change Conference, commonly referred to as the Conference of the Parties. The conference is happening at a time when nations are struggling to cut greenhouse gas emission amid a global energy crisis, the war in Europe and rising inflation. Today we are having on our show Vibhuti Garg, Director South Asia at the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis and we are going to hear from her the priorities for the world leaders and the outcome India will be looking forward to from this summit. We will also speak with her on clean energy financing and the opportunities for clean and renewable energy companies in a surging net zero world. Before we begin our conversation, a brief introduction to our today's guest. Vibhuti Garg is an economist with 17 years of experience. Her focus at the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis is on promoting sustainable development through influencing policy intervention on energy pricing, adoption of new technologies, subsidy reforms, enhancing clean energy access, access to capital and private participation in various areas of the energy sector. Vibhuti, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast and look forward to the discussion. The COP27 is in progress at Sharm al-Sheikh in Egypt. What according to you are the priorities that leaders should have on top of their mind to turn the corner on climate action? Right. So COP has already started at Sharm al-Sheikh in Egypt on 6th November, which was two days ago. So in terms of priorities, you know, I would say the world was just getting to terms to deal with the impact of COVID-19. And in 2022, Russia-Ukraine war happened and which further kind of exacerbated the issue of energy security crisis, which led to surging commodity and fuel prices and again leading to high inflation as well as high interest rates across different geographies. Many countries, including India, also uh, had issue of currency devaluation, which further increased, you know, the problem with respect to foreign exchange reserves, which were uh, getting uh, reduced. But now, thankfully, things have started getting better. In 2022, again, you know, there were many countries like Pakistan, Puerto Rico, which witnessed floods. And on other hand, countries in South Asia and Europe faced heat waves, which led to high energy demand. So all these kind of natural calamities, which we have been witnessing on a much uh, aggravated basis, has also led to huge loss of life and property due to extreme weather condition. So in this COP27, we have seen and are seeing that emerging economies with limited financial resources are demanding finance for loss and damage. Uh, There is an ask for having a separate fund to help countries rebuild and cope up with the loss they have been subjected to. What I've been hearing uh, from the development in the last two days alone, the issue of loss and damage has been included in the formal main agenda of the climate conference for the very first time ever. So which is a good development, but we really need much more progress on uh, financing for loss and damage. So more on the climate adaptation side as well. Secondly, I would say the financing gap for meeting the current nationally determined contribution by developing countries has been set at very high and ambitious levels. And there is further pressure to enhance these uh, so-called NDCs, which is your national determined contribution. 
So there is an, an ask being put and I think India can take the lead in particular and put this ask forward not only for itself but also on behalf of all such countries to increase the climate investment commitment by countries in the global north to the global south. So we have seen in 2009 there was a commitment by developed countries to provide 100 billion US dollars of climate finance by 2020, which was an annual commitment. But this amount itself is minuscule compared to the quantum of capital required by the developing economy. So the world needs much more money from private capital sources, as well as public sources, and especially, uh, I would say private capital sources, which currently hold a majority of financial wealth. The countries need debt in the form of conventional and sustainable capital comprising of green bonds and loans sustainability-linked bonds and loans, which needs to play a much bigger role. On the equity side, long-term patient capital such as pension funds, insurers, and sovereign wealth funds can play a big role. Lastly, I would say another sizable and often critical climate finance sources, multilateral development banks, which is the MDBs, especially for technologies and sector where private capital would not invest either due to nascent stage of growth or low return. So definitely MDBs through blended finance along with private capital can play a much bigger role for the emerging technologies. And that's where we need to bring in more and more capital to the developing world. Thanks Vibhuti for the detailed and elaborate answer to the question. India is also participating in the conference. Could you shed some light on the priorities and the outcome that India will be looking forward to from this summit? As I mentioned earlier, clearly finance uh, is something which India can really look forward in terms of commitments from the developed world to the developing countries for meeting their climate goals. India itself has set out huge target of reducing emission intensity by 45% by 2030 compared to 2005 levels and also 50% of installed capacity from non-fossil fuel sources by 2050. So which means that India needs more than one trillion of investment by 2030 if it has to meet these goals. In fact, there was another report by McKenzie which highlighted that the exposed geography including in sub-Saharan Africa as well as India would need to invest around 1.5 times more than the advanced economies as a share of GDP today to support economic development and build low-carbon infrastructure. While India has committed 2070 net zero target but if that goal has to be pre to 2050 uh, because that's the need of the hour where most of the countries need to have net zero uh, much earlier. India's capital requirement would be 11% of GDP. This is as per the McKenzie report compared with the global average of about 7.5% of GDP. What India needs is availability of finance and also access to technology as well. So there's a lot of R&D research and development and technological advancements happening in solar module, energy storage, green hydrogen in Europe and US. So India need access to those technologies to help meet its climate goals. So these would be uh, some of the priorities from India's end. There is a lot of discussion going around energy transition, climate change and clean energy. How important is energy transition and the role of renewable energy, including green hydrogen, in addressing the challenge of climate change? If you would know that India is the third largest carbon emitter in the world, although our per capita carbon emissions are low, but achieving carbon neutrality, which is the net zero 
uh, greenhouse gas emissions, which is the balancing carbon emissions and carbon absorption from the atmosphere, is a necessity for India. And the sooner we do it, though, as I said, we have set out the target for 2070, we need to kind of speed it up. And this is very, very crucial because we have been experiencing very extreme weather events ourselves as well. And India is one of the five countries with the most exposure to extreme heat wave over the last five years. So the country needs to increase share of renewable energy coupled with other storage technologies in the power sector, even in agriculture and say transportation through electric vehicles, but also need options like green hydrogen for other hardware-based sectors. That's the reason, you know, we really need to accelerate our energy transition and shift to a low-carbon pathway to prevent ourselves from extreme weather events that the country has been subjected to. We are all aware about the dream and vision the Prime Minister has given for India to become a leading power. Do you see an opportunity for India to lead the world in renewable energy and capture the economic opportunity associated with it? Definitely. India is witnessing high energy demand growth as a result of growing population as well as urbanization and industrialization. As per the draft national electricity policy, India is expected to witness an annual electricity demand to grow at an average of 7.2% over the next five years. Clearly, this is nearly double the growth of over 4 to 5% which we have seen during the last five years till March 2022. So what we are are seeing is that the government programs such as the Gati Shakti uh, National Master Plan and the Atma Nirbhar Bharat Abhyan could promote a robust growth in renewables and electric mobility. India is also promoting startup culture and domestic manufacturing through schemes like production linked incentive scheme. So the expansion of renewable energy sector would also lead to the emergence of new employment opportunities in the country. So India's new green job creation can actually be a game changer for the economy of the nation, especially in rural area. So definitely there can be a lot of economic growth coupled with the development of renewable energy, which India can associate itself with. What according to you are going to be the key challenges for India on its journey towards transition to clean energy? While government is going gung-ho about development of renewable energy, recently with the Russia-Ukraine war has led many countries, including India, to turn inwards and rely on what is available in the domestic market. So to address the issue of energy security and protect against the price volatility of imported fuels, the strategy is to exploit more and more domestic resources to meet demand. Now, this is counterproductive. Uh, renewable energy is cheap and the prices are further likely to go down. What we need is cheap cheaper storage solutions to complement renewable energy. So government, I feel, should invest in building more storage solutions and provide support for the same than building coal and gas assets, which are highly capital intensive and are expensive and are likely to become stranded in the next few years. We have seen India has been experiencing rise in both wholesale and retail inflation due to high prices of crude, gas and minerals. And uh, this is impacting food inflation as well. So if India really 
really has to address its inflation problem, we need to build more cheaper resources and rather than investing on building an infrastructure which is expensive. Lately, we did see the solar module and battery prices uh, going up. In the last few weeks, it has started softening now, but it is still higher than compared to the levels what we saw in December 2020 and early 2021. So while India is meeting uh, or betting big on renewables and it, what it also needs to create a policy conducive environment where more investment both from domestic as well as international sources can flow to the country and there is less country or currency risk and we see more and more private capital as well as you know loans in the form of sustainability linked bonds and green bonds coming from international capital to India. Clean energy financing is the key talking point for developing countries at the COP summit. Can you suggest some innovative ways in which the concerns related to the clean energy financing can be addressed? So in order to attract more capital, I think we need to address off-taker risk, uh, country risk, sovereign risk, and currency risk. India really needs to do in order to exploit the rapidly growing pool of global capital is uh, from whether it's from sovereign wealth funds, global pension, private equity and infrastructure, as well as huge amount of money coming from oil and gas majors also, you know, pivoting to clean energy, who are struggling to find uh, the right projects to bring in capital at a very scalable level. So in order to attract more finance, India really needs a stable and continuity of policies. So we have seen that there have been some good policies, but there have been some policy rollbacks, which creates a lot of uncertainty. So India really needs to have a continuity of policies. Further, India needs right price signals like time of day for building more flexible generation sources. So there needs to be a lot more market reforms through such price signals, as well as deepening of short term market for more and more capital or for more and more energy to be traded even in the short term market like power exchange further i think which is more critical is india needs to undertake discom reforms to ensure off taker risk as late payments or renegotiation of contracts increases risk and then uh, we will not see a lot of capital coming in so we really need to work on all these reforms to ensure we can access more and more capital Finally, what opportunities do you see for clean and renewable energy companies in a surging net zero world? In India, see the time has changed from you know where we were just assembling modules to now even manufacturing cells, wafer, electrolyzers. So we are kind of transition to building the entire ecosystem and even you know while we miss the bus on solar modules and cells it is time for Indian companies to leapfrog in the existing technologies as well as new technologies like green hydrogen and storage solution using new technologies apart from lithium iron technology so there is a lot of scope and the kind of demand growth that we are seeing so there is a huge potential for meeting that demand internally as well as there is huge opportunities for exports as well. So that's the kind of huge potential that renewable energy sector presents to the Indian corporates and business houses. And we have seen in the last few months, we saw some big ticket renewable energy investments by large companies, which is very, very encouraging. So the likes of Reliance committing 80 billion US dollars, Adani with 50 billion US dollars, and even companies like Renew Power betting investment to the tune of 9 billion US dollars. 
centers for not only the wind and solar projects, but building up gigafactories for modules, fuel cells and storage. So that's how the landscape is changing. And that presents a very big opportunities for a whole lot of players. Thank you, Vibhuti, for coming on this podcast and sharing with our listeners insights on climate action, energy transition and clean energy finance. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Santosh. Thanks for having me here. So listeners, we come to the end of this insightful episode of the podcast that was brought to you by Smart Energy Magazine. If you like the podcast, don't forget to click on the subscribe button and recommend it to your industry colleagues. Thank you for tuning in.